500 and growing, 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 growing. Podcast. Dedicated to the underdog, cause I see you Working on your craft, getting strong, cause I see you Ready to set it off and on, cause I see Correcting all that is wrong, cause I see Cause I see you, cause I see you, cause I see you Growing up on the south side of Chicago, surrounded by urban art and public murals, Ramon Static became inspired to be involved with the subculture of street art. A consequent arrest for vandalism put him on a mission to legitimize the production of aerosol murals. This became his main focus, public murals that fused the graffiti aesthetic with the classical training that he received from the American Academy of Art. So everybody, please give a big round of applause for Ramon Static. All right. How you doing, brother? I'm good, bro. How you doing, man? So, yeah, we got Static in the building. Um, yeah, so thank you for, for being a guest on the 500 and Growing podcast, you know? Well, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, for sure, yeah, for yeah. sure, man. So the podcast, like we were we were kind of talking before, is about inspiring people by talking about your story and, like, how you've come up, like, how you've made your bones, like, what you're doing right now. And um, what it was like growing up, right? Like get a little bit personal with the audience about like who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Well, we met little by little through through the hip hop university, but I don't know if you remember that we met during that time. But when we did meet was when I got a job being a teacher in back of the yard. Who's in the trenches, bro? And the teacher that I got, the like the teacher that left, yeah. had this grant yeah. to make this mosaic yeah. mural. yeah. And what they decided to do is they dipped and didn't make the mural. So when I got hired, I didn't know that I needed to make a mosaic mural with you. Yes. And so they just dropped it on my lap. They were like, hey, by the way, uh, congratulations, you got the job. But you have like three weeks to get this mural up that this person has had in the it was on on the bookshelf for like two years or some craziness like that. Yes. And we we, we we were in the trenches, we man. We were in the trenches. And learning how to do it together. Yes. That was a really cool experience yes. to, like, yes. learn how to make mosaic. Yes. Hey, but, but you, know, you know what's dope about that, though? Um, that, that proves my point of where, like, natural diversity is dope. What, what I mean by that is we met on a similar path with a similar goals, and we just happened to come, you know, it came together like that. No one forced us. Yeah. To be together like that, and, and, and we bonded through completing a project like that, right? So, like in other words, no one forced us. No one, like uh, you, gained respect for me, and vice versa. Yeah. Not based off of hearsay is what you actually saw. Yeah. With it, with it, within my character, and vice versa, right? Um, that's organic respect. That's an organic relationship, right there. That happened through bonding, and um, and and, and, and seeing something through for sure together, man. right there. Mm-hmm. And so with that, um, we'll get started, you know, like, how was your childhood? Like, what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? And like, yeah. Okay. Um, my childhood, um, I grew up in, um, Woodlawn, in the Woodlawn community. Uh, that's east of the Dan Ryan, the south side of Chicago, of a 65th and St. Lawrence. Um, ironically, um, where I grew up at was maybe about three blocks away from what we now know as old block. Um, so I'm from that area. But when I was a kid, no one called it Old Block. It was just a low-rise public housing right there. Um, my household, though, um, was a mixture of a lot of things, right? Um, there's one aspect of my family that's like intellectuals, working-class people, um, teachers, doctors, uh, you know, um, intellectuals, per se. Then there's another aspect of my family is just some hood-ass dudes, right? So, um... There are people in my family, I grew up around a lot of, um, on one level, hearing a lot of like black nationalism. I mean, my family's in the nation of Islam. I grew up around, I grew up going to Savior's Day, um, hearing um, Louis Farrakhan, that's why my name is Rahman, and that's my Muslim influence, early Muslim influence, was by my family being associated with the nation of Islam. Um, So growing up hearing a lot of politics from that, right? Um that politics made a bubble, right? The bubble for, you know, the demographic of individuals 
from that area in the city of Chicago from that era, though, back when Chicago was more tribalized per race and ethnic group right there, right? Um, another aspect was that I had a, you know, there were artists in my family, but they didn't make a living off of doing art. I'm the first person in my family to make a living off of doing art. I have younger cousins right now This, you know, within their medium stepping into the game right now. My little cousin, Akila, she's a ballet dancer, right? But that's what she's doing, right? And her parents are investing in that. Um, before them, I was the first, first generation. The previous generation before me had to take on jobs, you know, to get a good career, but they couldn't make the art they wanted to make. So now they're retiring and just not getting around to find their creative selves. But it was good growing up watching, um, you know, my auntie paint a mural in a living room, you know, of, of the building that my grandfather owned. And I'm at an uncle that I'm um, used to like, uh, we, I used to watch Kung Fu flicks with and draw and make little Kung Fu uh, magazine, uh, uh, comic books, right? Mm. And because um, basically the, the household, like uh, in my early childhood in Woodlawn, was like a nuclear household, right? So grandfather, mom, uncle, you know, uncles, aunties, all that. So I grew up kind of seeing some wild shit with uncles and aunties living in the same house with my mom, right? Yeah. So then like cats would go from being this deep power to black people type shit to fighting each other <laughs> over, yeah. over, over trivial things right there, right? So um, there, there's good and bad. There's nuances. There are contradictions. It's kind of all in the way you digest that information, right? And um, so with that, my mom um, finished nursing school, right, some, some, sometime around in, uh, when I was in kindergarten, and that's when we began to move around the city of Chicago. Um, so I went from living in Woodlawn to um, by Ravenswood, right? Like, um, down there uh, up till... Uh, wow. Yeah. Like that's the, a really the, the, big change. The, yeah, the, seriously, the Ravenswood, right? Like, um, over there off of Ainsley and, uh, and Kedzie. Yeah, yeah. Right there, and I was, like, being bussed out to, like, a school by, like, um, by, by, by Rosemont in O'Hare Airport called Oriole Park, right? So I was, like, the only black kid in a classroom for a while in elementary school up to, like, to the fifth grade, right? So then I moved back down south um, to South, the South Chicago, Peel Hill area, wow. right there, which is like another, you know, cultural. Another zone. Another zone, right? Wow. So that was like middle-class black people right there. Then you cross a bridge, and it's like a deep Mexican hood, right? Growing up in that bubble over there, I didn't know, like, yo, a little village of Pilsen existed until, like, I started doing graffiti. Yeah. You know, like, like I didn't know, like, it was, like, that much of a dense, um, how do I put it? Like, it densely populated, um, flourishing community. Yeah. It's Pilsen, a little village. So, like, I, I knew writers from over in this area that, that, you know, invited me over to paint, right? But, um, yeah, from there, let's say going into college, um, I wound up moving back over to the Woodline, like, when I was in college, like, right? Like, my parents divorced. Um, they separated. The house was lost. I was out there, so I had to camp out uh, in my grandpa's crib um, for like maybe a year or two, something like that. And I just bounced out, man. Like um, bounced out, and believe it or not, I moved to Pilsen. Okay, you moved to Pilsen. I got my first studio over there, and uh, yeah, that, that was it, man. I was, I was in the game. Okay, can I can I ask you what was it like to be a young kid going from the Nation of Islam to see Louis Farrakhan mm. to going to a school with a whole bunch of white people, mm-hmm. and you're the only black kid. Mm-hmm. That had to have been like incredible in the way that you were seeing the world at at a, at a young age. Like, what was that like? And and then obviously going to South Chicago, mm-hmm. that's even another zone. Like we were talking yeah. about, what was it like first growing up where like you're going from school to school? Obviously, right? Yeah. Well, like you know, I, I think maybe you went to like six elementary schools. Yeah. What was that like? Always being a new kid. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Always being a new kid. Always being the 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 odd like kid out. So I was cool with uh, not standing out and standing myself to, you know, kind of stay out of trouble. I learned the pattern of the first person that talks to you and it gets in your face, maybe the person to get you in trouble right there. I may try to scam you or something like that. Um, so you didn't really trust people around you? Nah, after a while, I didn't trust people around me. Um, did you form any friendships during these these formative years? Yes. Yeah. Like, um, you know what? but I have no friendships that, that I still held on to um, be nothing after junior high. Okay. Before then, like, I don't like, they're like people from my actual childhood, childhood. Like, no, I don't, 
You don't mess with them, yeah. No, I don't even remember them. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't remember them. Yeah. Yeah, like there are there are people I crossed paths with when I was a kid that I want to meet later on. Yeah. As adults, but no, I don't yeah, I don't I have no idea what those people are anymore. What do you what do you think that did to you as a young kid that, that kind of affected you or did it affect you as an adult? We're moving from school to school. Yeah, or, moving from school to school, not yeah. really being able to form like solid friendships, right? Like I, that that's that's my story. Yeah. So the reason why I'm asking is because it's my story. I uh, my my mom ended up getting me into a school in the suburb, mm-hmm. so I had to come back to the city, and I went to a Catholic school, and my mom felt that it was easier just to send me to a public school, so I went to a public school and then came back to the Catholic school. So I, I kind of had that experience as well, where I was like going from school to school, um, not really making substantial friendships that are memorable. Right. So what was that like? How did that affect you as a, as a, as a person or has it affected you? Um, not, not as much because after a while, or even at that age, I knew I wanted to do art. Yeah. So like if you didn't if you didn't didn't have anything to do with that anyway, I probably wasn't dealing with you. Yeah. And like um while I was in school, you know, I would pay attention to class, but I wanted to be at home making art. You know, I didn't want to deal with the routine of of that and the politics of the students yeah. or the teachers even as a student um during school right there. So like um looking back at it, the main people I, I kept my relationships with from school, even down back to junior high where all the people that made art or attempted or showed some kind of interest yeah. in art right there. Because outside of that, um, your options were running with people that are products of that environment, no matter yeah. what the environment was. Yeah. You know, and it may be aspects of that environment that you knew wasn't right, yeah. even as a kid. You know, like, you do as a scumbag, <laughs> young scumbag. Like, <laughs> fuck you, Charles, dude, man. Like, you know, he, he does nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he ain't really about anything. He ain't about anything. He's not yeah. going to get me anywhere. Like, no. No, I'm just gonna end up in it right next to him doing nothing. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, even as a shorty, you knew you knew you, you was able to call that con right there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but um, in regards to the politics and like being the only kid in the only black kid in the in the classroom full of yeah, you know what, yeah. what did that do to you? Um, keep in mind that was during the era of the first Gulf War. Okay, right. I was hearing all this. I was hearing all this. Um, man, as a kid, like I had no real view, right? So like. I'm like, yo, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. I've heard all this. So no, that's what happened. Wild thing. Around that time, I almost became a bully. Or uh-huh. I pretty much was a not a, not necessarily a bully. I didn't take no shit, right? So like um crazy stories. So I'm between second and fifth grade, when I was at that school, there was kids, I guess, that went home and their families maybe was tossing around an N-word. Freely. Yeah. So they would come to school and I guess out of conversation that would slip up and they would call me that. Yeah. And I knocked the shit out of them. Right. Like I got to fighting kids static. Right. Like, uh, it was like an impulse. Yeah. That was the result of hearing that shit. They had, uh, impulse. It's like, yo, like we gotta go now. We gotta go now. Like, you know, like I, I, I heard this dude, uh, talking, saw this pro black shit all, all night. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, um, hearing all that. Yeah. Like, yeah, you was told not to like, not to take that. Yeah. Especially had the power to fight back right there. And now that's what I did. I'm going to suspend it for that. My mom had to come up to school. Um, you know, it was a whole little. And the other thing is that you're, you're like a large person. So yeah, I was the, the tallest kid in the class. Interesting. Yeah. Like, like that was, um, and, and those are situations where like looking back at it, I don't do this anymore, but no, someone told me something. I got triggered and started fighting. Yeah. I can't do that shit right now. I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, no, dude, like, that's a trap. It's a trap. I'm not getting caught up in that. So getting out to the rural, I have to, like, gain my own rural view. The positive aspects that I digested from that information from back then and apply to my real life now with, like, the, the, the rural view that I have that's based off of my personal evolution yeah. operating in the rural right there. So, so at this point, yeah, I, I learned how, to, how not to inherit my elders' fears. For sure. You know, fears and, and, and rural views and political ideas that may have been very um, adequate for their time of survival right there. But the era that we in right now, bro, like it's, it's a slightly different game and slightly different playing field right there. there. There have been new variables added to the playing field over the past 20, 30 years that makes it not the same game. For sure. You know, so 
yeah, that that's that's uh that's why it's important um as a as an evolving person mm-hmm. to you know gain your own knowledge, experience the actual world, um go through your trial and error, right? Bump your head right there, like um bleed if you have to, um to gain that experience of that simulated situation that you want to go for. Yeah, being being the black kid in a white class. Yeah, that that politics right there. Yeah, I went through that in high school. Mm-hmm. I went to Catholic high school, and so for me now, I'm able to be comfortable in front of a whole bunch of white people yeah. and me be the only person yeah. of color. Yeah, you're not no no sweat. And and but there were parts that when we're talking about things that I overcompensated for. So you know, I have this "you're not better than me" mm-hmm. attitude. Mm-hmm. But then it, it also affected all my other relationships mm-hmm. Yep. where I was just like, people were like, damn, this dude is cocky. Right. But it was like a self-defense mechanism right. created to be able to deal with the situation of being around a whole bunch of white people. Right. And being like, you ain't like, you're not better than me. Right. And I just want you to know straight off bat, we're not going to have that type of relationship. Right. We could have a relationship of respect. Right. Or we could have a relationship where I know that you a punk. Right. But there's not in between. Right. And I'm not going to kiss your ass because you white. Right. Exactly. And so that's that's what what that space allowed me to create. Got you. You know what I'm saying? Like, what did it create for you? And for you, it was different because you were a little kid. I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, um, you know, it was one thing of dealing with the situations from the students. It was another thing with dealing with microaggressions from um, the teacher right there, because basically any scenarios, granted, she was, she was, uh, I was basically painted as a villain from reacting right there. But why were these kids coming to school using that level of language though? Yeah. It was blowback. You see what I'm saying? Like, 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 like I shouldn't have been the only one to get in trouble for that. And by you only getting in trouble, they're justifying the, the, the use of that language. Exactly. Like basically those situations got balanced out by my mom showing up to school and raising hell. Yeah, yeah. She was a parent that gave a fuck. Like, yo, yo, like, like he, how's he the only one suspended? Like, no, we ain't going. We ain't going. Yeah, because she was brought up off that. Her childhood was a civil rights movement. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? So, like, to that point, though, I get if you're from that era and that age, how you may have some of those political views, ideas, and fears from that era because you lived through that shit yeah. right there, right? On um, the era we, we we came up in, being born in the '80s, yo, different game, man. We discovered each other. Yeah. Through hip hop. Yes. Because you were you were a dope graffiti writer. It didn't matter what you looked like. Yes. Everybody was like, damn, Static is doing some dope shit. Let's just say I'm not worried about in my personal life the repercussions of slavery. I'm worried about the the the, the powers that be trying to take our souls. You dig what I'm saying? Like what I mean by our souls is that yo there's another version of you with this data. There's another version of you that gets that, that data of you gets sold. Sold. Yeah. Literally sold. Right. Um, there's AI that's being made right now that collects data from the human. Um, and predicts. No. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I decided to do in my life is to really step back from being in social media. Yeah. Especially during the Trump era. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. what I figured out was that, you know, I, I have my political view mm-hmm. and what was happening was social media was pumping me with information yep. that would validate that point of view. Yes. And not showing me the other side. Yes. And I imagine for the conservative side, it was doing the same. same. Thing. It was just like pumping them with that information. And so uh, the other thing is the co- commodification of you. Yes. That's right? what I'm getting so at. So it's like you, you type anything in that thing. Mm-hmm. It'll like all of a sudden in in the ads, the ads will be about that. And that's my point. Like that's wild. Yeah. They're literally taking your soul and commodifying it for sure. Right there. And you're that's that's what I'm getting at. Like, that's the battle in front of us for sure. You know, like the battle of our ancestors, like, yeah, there's still ripple effect and blowback from that. But we facing right now can affect our children and our grandchildren right now. Your actual legacy right there as a person like there are people that are dying every day um, with a legacy of gossip <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and uh, being toxic right there, right? Like there are people who make their living off of gossip right there and, uh, and die by gossip right there. That's not a good 
legacy to be remembered from, remembered as, even down the line for having grandkids, right? Like, yo, this is the way you remember your grandfather? What's wrong with, like, uh, I'm pretty sure you want to go out like your elders where, like, yo, you probably had a grand, like somebody had a grandfather that was a veteran, right? They had the the the, the, the smelling Marine shot on the metal piece right there. Yeah. Back when he was in his early 20s right there, like, dude put in work right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was at least some kind of honor, right? Guaranteed honor behind that. Not like, yo, this dude died talking trash about other people, but not trying to save the world. You know what I'm saying? Trying to make the world a better place right there. So that brings us, that brings me to another huge angle though, right? Um, yo, if you're out here and you're drifting and like, yo, you're trying to figure out what your life path is, one angle on deciding that is your life path affecting the community in a, in a positive way right there. That's, in other words, if your passion crosses paths with not only you making yourself better, but your surrounding environment better, um, that's more of a natural path right there, right? So, like, because um, then you having that factored in will create a long-term relationship with that path that's deeper than money. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's deeper than money because you love doing it. You love doing it for yourself, and people love you doing it. Yeah. So therefore, people would demand more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not work. Exactly. Is there anything that you saw growing up that made you want to make a change in your adulthood? As a child, um, don't be worried about the conversations and the stresses my parents have. Stay away from the arguments. Go, go do something productive. Don't be listening to that. Even if they're trying to vent to you some, some stuff they talked about. You're a kid. Be a kid. Have fun being a kid. Right, have fun being bored as a kid. You haven't been, I haven't been bored since I was twelve years old. Um, yeah, have like enjoy the moment, right there. Don't be such an outcast to where you can't enjoy the moment and play your part, right there, right? Because you may not get those moments back again. So be present. Be, be present. Be present. You know. So those that and oh yeah, 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 yeah. Make more art. Keep drawing. Thanks for actually taking initiative. It all added up. All the projects add up. All from short, the shorty art to junior high to professional. It's all practice. So let's talk about like the professional. So what was it like going in that fork in the road where you were just like, I'm going to do art and I'm going to do it professionally. Um, did you have that fork in the road where you were just like, um, I have, I have this, like everybody's doing nine to fives. I could do a nine to five or I could be an artist. And what was that decision like to, to go against what society is pushing on you to like be right? Cause society doesn't tell you, Hey, go be a successful artist. Society is telling you go make work money. downtown and like make money and have a big house and have the 20 cars if you want especially the, this society in, in the United States, what made you be courageous to jump into becoming an artist? There were multiple forks in the road. It wasn't just one. Um, first fork in the road was um, what junior, senior year in high school where I had the choice. I was accepted into Tuskegee University to be a history major or go to American Academy of Art and pursue art right there. Um, I chose to stay here, go to American Academy of Art, and pursue art, because all I wanted to do was art all day after graduating from high school. I didn't want no more, I didn't want to deal with the regular school system like that. Again, even on a collegiate level. Um, that was first, the first fork, right? Like, um, I didn't go away to college, I stayed here. Um, stuff got kind of wild by staying here during that time, but it was all to build up some kind of art career. The second fork in the road was somewhere around maybe a junior, senior, not my fault, sophomore, junior year in college, um, where I like had my last day job, actual minimum wage job, right? My last day job was um, raising money for the School of Art Institute over the phone. I was begging for money on behalf of the School of Art Institute, right? With their past um, students and alumni, right? Um, I quit that, and then my first job was... Um, my first art related job that was consistent, which turns to its own thing, 
was um, working for After School Matters. That started in my junior year in college as an assistant. And I was glad to have something art-related. There was a guaranteed check, though, yeah. right? As a junior in college, though, right? That was really fresh as a junior in college, right? You got some job in the field making uh, 20 bucks an hour right there as a college student. All right, cool. Um, after I graduated, they gave me a raise and gave me more hours and was leading my own projects, right? Um, that consistent check with that, I was justifying it by being an art-related job, and I was still doing murals, but I was working with kids, though, right? Doing murals and working with kids. All right. Um, you know, I look up, I look up 10 years is going by of me doing the same routine with them, but I'm still in this, um, in this, uh, comfort zone, if you will, being content, right? Cause they weren't putting a gun up to my head and making me reapply for the same contract every year. I was doing that by choice. Yeah. No. Right. So like, um, yeah, man, like the real breaking point with, within that and the real reality check is when I had my daughter. Um, six years ago and, um, that, you know, I had my daughter, my overhead shot up once I had my first, had my first child right there, things got more real. I even cut off my damn hair, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah you used to have long locks. You used to have long locks. I mean, cut off my hair. Like, that's, that's how real things got, you know, I'm like, yo man, like, yo, I gotta like shed a lot, any dead weight I can quick right there. Like the survival is different, especially having a daughter. Cause, cause the uh, first thing I thought like, yo there's a very innocent aspect of me that's about to be in the world. And I know firsthand there are wolves out there. Yeah. Right. So that a lot of my world views change in that instant of watching the birth of my daughter yeah. right there. And that, that's why I knew it was time to begin to let that go. And my wife, that's what else it was though, to the childcare thing. We didn't trust anyone outside of my immediate uh, family. Yep. W- around our daughter, especially before she could speak yeah. or was of speaking age right there. So it was me, my wife, um, my, my wife's mom, there's the three of us, you know, making sure she was taken care of man, and, and watch, you know, and, um, parents it. Right. So like, um, there were years that would go by where, you know, I'll have my, I was a dude coming through the meetings with a baby on my chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a baby on my chest, man. Like, Hey, making orders, argue people like everything, man. Like <laughs> with an actual baby on my chest, man. <laughs> I've done it. Yeah. It's come down to it. Um, but like within yeah, it made you focus, right? It made me focus. Yeah, it, and and reprioritize a number of things. Bottom line, though, is uh, within maybe a year or so of me quitting teaching, pushing it, pushing it away. Um, give it like a year, you know, year, year and a half. Stuff began to skyrocket right there. But that came from me making use of this newfound time that I had to just focus in on making my work better by more practice, discovering like it, it gave me more time to explore myself as an artist to understand like, you know, who, who I was as like what my personal narrative is, my personal style is right there. A lot of that comes from my practice and trial and error, but from a professional standpoint though. Yeah. So you've done all your studying right there, but you get to make these creative excursions. Yeah. You get, you get to just, uh, feel what you're doing and, 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 and be present. Exactly. Yes. But, but, but then like where it gets wild at is like, you're making a living off of it is your job. So then like, it's like that sweet spot you have to discover between capitalism and your passion right there. Right. Um, you can't let the capitalism overtake your passion like that. If you still want people to believe that you're passionate about it, right there if you, you still want people to, to take you serious yeah right there right so it's a thing where what i mean about a sweet spot is this even as a freelance or commercial artist it's demographics i know i could hop on and make some money off of and, and i've done it sometimes right like for instance um yo i came through the joe biden and kamala harris t-shirts the day after the election or right when they won because i knew they were going to win right there right <laughs> that was a <laughs> basically it was either basically i knew i could cash in on the election yeah. Right. Like, it, 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 and you cash in on it based off of um the odds of who you know are going to win. It's like the individuals that print up the the yeah. sports t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there, like you know these guys. The Bears win are going right to win the the Super Bowl. And you already have them printed up as soon as they win. Right, they, you make money within that hour. Right there. Right. Yeah. So I've done that, and actually it worked. Right there. Right. But then the other aspect of it, not personal, had I known Trump was going to win. Sorry, do I want to make some damn Trump <laughs> paraphernalia and not attach my name to it because I knew. 
that's a market that wants that has a a target brand, a target audience, specific colors right there, a specific demographic right there. All you gotta do is come through and show them their symbols and speak their language, and it'll be triggered to consume it right there. That's a bizarre power of a, of the artist within our society right there. For sure, you could make objects based off of what you know of people's emotions right there. Yeah, add your flavor or maybe even not add your flavor to it. Just repeat that formula, and people be triggered to consume it. Right there, I've seen that on, on many different levels. But if I'm doing that, it's just for the money. People know that I'm not sincere, and the people that follow my work follow me, and my my following's gotten bigger because I've been working harder to be more sincere. An example is like, do I swear in my songs or not? Mm-hmm. I know that if I swear in my songs, I'll get more play. Right. But I decided not to because the elders taught me that I should be able to express myself without swearing. Right. And I'm talking about hip-hop elders. You yes. know what I'm saying? You don't need to swear. Yes. Say what you need to say without saying that. Yes. And so it, it motivated me to, to see the beauty of the art that I was making instead of making art just to, to get it sold. Now, here's where it gets wild at. Understanding the nuances of pop art and pop culture as an artist with substance, though. Mm-hmm. Right. What I mean by the nuance is that, like, I I was once the super hip hop head. Like, yo, if it's popular, they playing on the radio. It's trash, yo. Like, all of it sucks, bro. Like, all of it. Like, you know. But after a while, of getting older, and I was like that with all forms of media. Um, I began to analyze a lot of individuals' body bodies of work. Once the hype has died down, I could see their whole catalog right there. You could really put their work on the table and try to, you know, and try to analyze what was the hype behind that? Like, you know, like did it have any substance to it? Or what was the real smoke behind that fire right there? Right. Mm. All right. Now what, um, what generally happens is you begin to understand, you begin to do a study of, um, the power behind what made the individuals work power right there. And, um, use that as a, it's a formula where you use, popular ideas and culture, cultural um, stigmas like that as a hook to something deeper. Mm-hmm. So, like, so in other words, like, um, it's not all bad, right? Like, um, especially if you could use it to bring people in, draw people in to something that's deeper right there. But bottom line is you do need that drawing. And a lot of times that drawing does have to be stuff that people are extremely familiar with right there. And that's the power behind it right there. So, th- so what I'm saying is your project, doesn't have to be all bubble gum, but you might have to sprinkle a little bubble gum flavor and yeah. it's to, you know, get in common people right there. You yeah. may, what, what some people might say, dumb down. If dumb and down were had a percentage scale, right? Um, I'll say dumb and down a quarter, like 25%, just a quarter, right? Like, it, you know, it doesn't have to be 50, just and that quarter would be a lot. But I think that what you were saying with the Trump t shirts mm-hmm. and what you're saying about, like meeting the the masses halfway mm. or a quarter way, right? Yes. Is using those formulas that have been given that are given to people to consume. Yes. And and applying it to the work that you're doing. Yes. So that they're e- more easily able to consume it and it's familiar to them when they listen to it. Yes, as a matter of beyond easy easy to consume. They'll consume it and not realize it. Realize that they are consuming it because it's it, even that twenty five percent is that normalized to them. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, it's look at it like this, right? In a nutshell, as an artist, like I create art using a scientific method. Um, trial error specimen, record the trial and error, take the positive results of that trial and error, combine it, make something new, right? That so I t- use that approach to make art. And that's kind of like a, 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 a large percentage of my drive for, for making art right there. So like um, on, on a basis of, um, you know, evolving as an artist right there, right? Um, on your path of your evolution as, as an artist, especially if you're sincere, you're not going to be predictable. Um, as an artist, you know, it's like comparing to being a, a comedian, right? You're not that funny going around telling the same mama joke for, from 10 years ago, right? If you want to hear some new jokes, dude, 
same thing with, with, with being an artist, right? Like your technique can be predictable, right? Your narrative shouldn't be predictable. No, like the stories you tell them shouldn't be predictable, right? If, if, you, if, you, if you're, if, as an artist, um, if your stories are predictable, right? After a while, why would people want to come and listen to your stories though, mm. right? You know, some people have perfected that level of mediocrity. That was a Tyler Perry's <laughs> formula. His movies will be about the same thing over and over again, dude. Yeah, for sure. You, you can predict his movies, right? Like, what was it? The, the Mama? The Medea. Yeah. You know the variables of every dude's story. Yeah, it's a formula. Around. It's a formula right there, right? It just keeps on being made over and over again. And that that is not timeless. Like, um, it's going to become a novelty and, and very cringy, you know, less than 10 years after. Man. So what what are some artists that, that you are observing now that are doing the opposite of that, that are creating quality projects and, and seeing the visions of what they're doing. Um, it's a number of dudes. Let's just say this. Well, within our time, um, yo, from like a lot of partners that I already work with from my crew, Max Sansky, Sansing, Dretzky, homeboy, Gabe one, um, national, um, this dude, Tristan Eaton, um, the homeboy Mirror One from um, Los Angeles. You know, uh, homeboy Stem from um, Brooklyn, New York. Tats Crew out of the Bronx. Um, Mold Two out of Paris. Um, Dime One, um, Germany. Like my, 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 the people I follow like around the world in regards to like murals and street art and graffiti because I operate off the global standard of like graffiti. Man. So like um, what's fresh in Chicago may be mediocre or mediocre at best <laughs> for the world right there. And um, that's, that's a glass ceiling. That's a Chicago glass ceiling. That's a Chicago glass ceiling where you think if you're going to make it as, as an artist in a city, you need to be working, you need to be a teacher or working in marketing <laughs> right there, right? Chicago glass ceiling, right? I've done both. Yeah. I've done both. And like the world is more vast. The market is more vast. Um, we have more options to put ourselves on now. But it's a matter of do you have time to sit behind that desk and put it in at work and mark my words. It does take work. You will bleed. Practice matters right there. Um, no matter what art you are pursuing right there, you have, you do have to do those hours in the gym and you do have to watch other fighters fight even back to the history of it right there. Understand the science of the sport you're pursuing right there. Right. Um, what I mean by this and why I keep saying this is that, um, a lot of where I'm at right now came from straight up trial and error mm. wins and losses. I haven't won every battle, but I have more wins and losses though. Right. Um, but it was an aspect of, um, that evolution and like operating year by year. So like the freshest thing that I'm doing with my art is a body of work from this year. Right. That's a, that's the freshest next year. It'll be the next year's thing. I'm in competition with myself from the previous year. I take time to, um, to archive my work, chronological order, um, even, you know, yeah, go all out with the archiving, right? That's another conversation for another project that, that I'm working on. Um, but so that way, when I have something to compare it to, I'm like, yo, what can I do that's different? What can I do that's evolved right there? How can I be even more unpredictable right there? How can I execute something more elaborate, faster, and fresher, though, right? So yeah, I'm not operating off of um the standards and the standards of, of modern graffiti, right? Like that that uh the East Coast train painting scene uh, phase two, like those dudes are very fresh right there. But I'm out of the city of Chicago. I'm off the south side. I grew up hearing about that uh Nation Islam shit, right? Uh I mean the hip hop right there, but the region we in, we from the Rust Belt region mm-hmm. of hip hop, right? It's it's a different flair to the way we get down over here, right? Um, it's a little bit more cutthroat. It's a little bit more desperate of my motive is, is why, we go, why I go hard as an artist now. Yes, yeah, part of it is uh, the, the spirit of Allah, right? Um, having uh, many of near-death experiences, wrong place, wrong time, you know, like uh, cumulative near-death experiences to where like, I'm, I'm like, yo, how the fuck am I still here? I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. But now, even though I, I am here and I realize how fragile life is, yo, like every day, you know, if you go out, you, you, you know, not only you, you don't have to go out of your way to go out with a bang. You, you, you were working on your legacy the whole time, right? So, so 
it's like, yeah, you do have, you, you are operating as if you are on borrowed time right there, but that makes you utilize your time better, right? Um, as far as what you indulge your time in. And if you indulge your time in stuff that's going to make the world a better place, provide you with a stronger legacy for your family right there, then yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, make that your everyday mission right there as a creative of any level. That's I get what you're saying. It's just like you, you have, so for me, it's like my mom passed away from cancer in 2006. Mm-hmm. And when you see your, your parent, your hero, I was raised by a single mom. When you see her pass away, you see how life can end in any moment. Yes. And you can believe in a higher power. You you don't have to believe in a higher power, mm-hmm. but you know that you're mm-hmm. not going to be here forever. Yes. You know, I just had this conversation. My mom's birthday was the 29th and I went to the cemetery with, with my daughters. Right. But my daughter that's five years old was talking like we, we made her some flowers and put it on her grave. And she was, I was just explaining to her, that's my mom. She's your grandmother. She's no longer here. She would have been, she would have really loved to meet you. Yes. You know, but unfortunately she wasn't able to meet you, but I'm positive that she would have been really proud on the way home. She was just like, Hey, why did she die? And I explained to her why she died. She died of lung cancer. And, and she was like, are you going to die? And I was like, yes, I'm going to die. And she's like, am I going to die? I'm like, yes, we're all going to die. But the one thing about dying is that you know that you're going to die. Everybody knows they're going to die. So it's like, it makes you appreciate the life that you have right now. Yes. And it makes you be present. Yes. Because if, if, if we live forever, then you wouldn't be experience. You wouldn't enjoy as much of what you're experiencing. Like the, the, the conversation that I'm having with you right now is a beautiful conversation. Yes. That I'm going to remember. I don't know if you're going to remember it, but I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. Yeah. And when I die, I hope to be able to remember these beautiful memories that I'm collecting in my life. Right. And so, yeah. So my mom passed away. I was like, I have to get on the grind. You know what I'm saying? I finished my album right after my mom passed away. I'll preface it by saying this because I, I, I'm, I'm really curious as to your, 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 your process as far as like even stamina. Mm. Like, when I start a project, it's like, it's the best idea in the world. Mm. You're just like, damn, this is, this is going to be great. And there's a certain part where you start getting fatigue. Because mm. you just like, now it's work. Mm. Now it's like, I got to finish it. Mm. But you have to grind through that in order to get to the finish line and to finally finish your product or whatever you're working on, your art. So it's like, what is that like for you? What's that creative process like? Tying it back to the last question that gets you to that grind that you're talking about. Like, do you ever get tired? I mean, I imagine you get tired physically because these murals that you're making are incredibly huge. Right. Mm -hmm. And so your fingers probably get, get, get tired and you just like, how do you, how do you keep yourself going? Um, well, for one, I met, I have three, not four different tiers of project levels based off of hours and overhead, right? So you, I have my short-term project studies, if you will. Um, those tend to be experimental projects or even political satire right there. That may take between 5 to 15 minutes for me to fit, start and finish right there, right? Um, I might do that on my iPad because it's quicker to do on the iPad right there. And, and, it's, and uh, with Procreate, you could actually make some art within 5 or 15 minutes right there. Flush out an idea right there, right? That's a short-term project. Um, it may be cool for the internet, maybe a borderline meme right there, but a short-term project right there, and you're able to flush out an idea. Um, you could use it as a study, or you could make a collection of those small projects. Second level is um, the like a, a, what is it, 15 to 20-hour project right there. That's a medium-level project. That may be an average commission to pay some bills with right there. Um, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a thorough project, you know. Um, there's like some work went into it right there, but it's gonna be a project that I was able to body within a work week, right there, right. Um, it's the first first of fifteenth of the month type type uh, situation right there. It's good for commercial art, for um 
Then there's like a, a, a third tier is like why I want to make something. Where I'm like, yo, yo, I'm about to change the game with this shit. Like this, this is for the museums. This is for the arenas right here. Um, that's a lot of the mural projects that be big and elaborate, right? Those projects will go from between 150 to 200 hours of production time. That's my ass out there sweating, painting right there, right? Um, the way stuff goes down, at any given time, I may be juggling three or four projects on each level at the same time at all times, mm-hmm. right there, right? I may have multiple mural projects going on, multiple medium level, medium projects, small level projects, right? Um, fourth tier, right, is um, the project with no ending right there, right? No timeline. It's an ongoing project. That's the documentation of all the projects. Documenting your work is its own art project. There's a lot of copywriting, photography, right? Film editing, right? Um, archiving right there, right? Um, that becomes its own art project, but you don't see that as something that's just going to end. You always have to do that because no one's going to tell your story better than you, especially once you pass, like no matter how close they are to you, right? You, you, can, you can mess around and have like a, an Aaliyah bioptic version of your story so all they do is zoom in on a scandal of your life and not your real legacy right there, right? But um, now I'm on a mission to, um, long story short, I'm going to drop a series of books um, within the next few years um, that I'm going to donate to the Library of Congress, different schools, different universities, different libraries right there that is that body of work. Basically, I'm making my own art history book and putting myself in it because I'm not waiting for nobody to curate me and put me in a damn book right there. And right about now, it's easy to self-publish. It's a matter of money and graphic design right, right. there. So, like, no, like, um, and that's the benefit that we have now that wasn't around 15, 20 years ago. You had to go through gatekeepers to get stuff published. Yeah, it was, right it was what Kerry James Marshall was fighting against. Yeah. Now, bro, five grand, yo, I, I, could, I could ride around with, with, with a box of those things in my trunk, and I would deliver them to schools myself right there to put them in their libraries right there, right? Um, so at least, um, like I said, because I know no one's going to tell my story better than me, but, you know, you can make your own art history book now, especially if you have that kind of volume right there. So, like, um, no, there are three tiers of the way I manage projects right there, right? Now, as far as what keeps me up, right, because let's just say right now, right, um, I'm doing a mural right now off of 87 the Kim Bark for the DJ um, Jack Master Farley, right, king of house music. Right, like um, pumping like the WBMX mm-hmm. house music era, right? Because that's like straight up a Chicago made house. Yeah. Period. You know what I'm saying? Like Chicago made house. Detroit, New York had a techno. New York had a techno. New York has New York can have disco. Chicago made house. I was a kid and I watched this shit happen. Right. Yeah. Um. Bottom line though, is that um that project, for instance, I went harder on the preparation of it. I see it. Like making a mural like a person would make a pizza or a cake or a movie, right? Every level of it has to be delicious, right? The cheese, the sauce, the, 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 the dough, the toppings right there. All that got to be flint. You, you, miss a, you miss a level right there. The whole thing is trash, right? Yeah. But you got to, you know, regard the different each variable to the piece right there, right? So, like, there's uh, images uh, where I took his image and combined it with Dr. Strange. Doctor Strange DJ thing. Then there's this um, other part of it where I'm replicating the Ernie the Ernie Barnes Sugar Shack painting from Good Times on there. Right, that's that visual hook. I know black people love that shit. Yeah, think of black art. You go think of something like that right there. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's fresh right there. Right. But that was elaborate ass projects. That, that was a very elaborate painting Ernie Barnes did. Um, I knew it was going to be elaborate. So in the studio, I made a small version of it. On Procreate. Yeah. Right? Just to go through it right there. Because I'm like, yo, man, this, this thing looks like a painted diorama. Yeah. He, made, he painted the stage and then layered people on top of it right there. I have to replicate this at a scale of 20 feet tall by like 50 feet wide. Yeah. If you manage it right, that, that, that uh, producing it could take within a week. You mismanage it. You mismanagement. It could take months. You waste time and paint right there. Yeah, for sure. I'm renting a scissor lift. That thing costs between uh, eight hundred to a grand a week to, to 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 rent right there, right? I need that as part of my equipment to be able to get through it faster, right there, right? It's like a musician having studio time, right? You got the studio, you have you got that every day. Gotta be doing something with it. You may not have to be there for you. You may not have to be there around the clock. We have to make use of it though, right? No, yeah, for sure. When I was uh, 
MC and before I had equipment, like you got that, you got that hour, you had to make that magic. So you might have to come through with some stuff already planned for sure. Ready to go. Like, like, yo man, like, <laughs> like no, there are no breaks. I'm doing this like one, one take yeah, right you're here. You're not bro. reading this. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. You spitting it. You spitting it. Yeah. You come there on charge, right? All right. Now the way that works out with um, painting murals is that if it's already that much money online, y'all might have a 20, I might have a 20 hour day or a 24 hour day where I've had a, uh, been awake for days painting walls right um what keeps me up for one i'm on my feet my blood circulation movement sweat um that actually keeps me awake if i sit down i might fall asleep but if i'm on my feet constantly moving that keeps me awake um red bull coffee lots of water lo- lo- lots of water right there um multivitamins not overeating right there not eating greasy Foods right there, making sure what it is you digest, you're sweating out right there. That, that does matter right there, but not lots of water. I, I will pull up with, with the ice cooler water. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, like, like chugging it back to back right there. That, that matters a lot too. Um, that, and then like after a while though of being out painting and working, you know, painting a mural on the street, especially the city of Chicago or anywhere, any city, right? There's like a serenity to the hood. There's a serenity to the ghetto. At like three, four in the morning, everybody is asleep. No, no one's out there. You can drive from blocks. Yeah, like right now. Yeah, and there's no one, there's no one, you know, it's, it's quiet. The sky is that dark blue right there. The air smells different right there. Like there, there's, a, there's like an actual beautiful aspect of, of wild environments. The birds start chirping. The birds start chirping, man. Like, yeah, like, and then watching the city and neighborhood wake up. Yeah. I watch multiple hoods go to sleep and wake up, like from middle class neighborhoods to straight up trap spots. Yeah. yeah, I've watched uh, drug dealers and prostitutes go home and go to sleep, wake up the next morning, get coffee, and be on the same team the next morning. I'm like, whoa, hold up. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I, I never thought about that. Like, you're, you're like a fly on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, li- literally. Literally. Because after, once they get used to seeing me there. They just, you, you're part of the scenery. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the background. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, the other aspect, going back to that God theme, man, if I know... There's like a synergy. It's like, I know the hood is liking it. I like it. They want it. I like doing it. Give them more. You know, so like, yo, I might, like I said, it may be times I might be up for 48 hours. Basically what happens is by day two of the sleep deprivation, right? It's, uh. Your body my, gets used to it? And your mind starts acting different. It's almost like you're tripping, but off of your own head. Off of the sleep deprivation, right? But, um. I listen to a lot of like music when I work, right? Specifically a lot of like entire albums, entire podcasts, entire mixtapes, because um I look at the duration of the album or the podcast. If I know it's an hour, I'm like, all right, cool. I could do this hour stretch, two hours. Basically I work within the pace of um of albums and podcasts and different types of like and not necessarily a playlist, but like an entire mix. Right. If you know if you know it's gonna be like two hours, like bet. I'm going to do a two-hour stretch. And I'm not stopping until this ends right here. If you listen to certain albums or, you know, certain mixes multiple times, you know the beginning, middle, of end. Yeah. Of that, so you know, like, where your first 10 minutes, half hour, you know, is in there, right there, right? So, like, that definitely helps as far as momentum and setting goals right there and, and having an internal clock where you're not constantly looking at your watch right there. Third, uh, another variable is that um, after, what is it, 8 p.m., people stop calling me. People stop calling me, like, like no one's reaching out, bill collector stuff, like, people stop calling me, right? The later it gets, the less people want your attention right there. And that's that sweet spot, right? It gets really focused in and uh, deal with being isolated mm-hmm. right there. I, like, um, that level of isolation does help also, like, at the wall, um, you know, I throw my headphones, and I'm focused, Right there, but I do be walking, working off the time like, yo, I'm not taking a break. I'm not even getting a drink of water until this mix is over. And I know this mix is like an hour and 30 minutes right here, like an hour, 30 minutes stretch of straight up working in production. Yeah, you make yourself a commitment and you like, this is what I'm going to do. And you're covering square feet. For sure. You're covering real estate. You're getting points on the board. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so in other words, within that time, I may have painted in half a human figure, someone's shirt, an entire portrait right there. If you have a crowd of people you're painting in right there or 15 portions of paint, that matters right there, especially taking on a large 
um, undertaking, like trying to paint a city block or something like that, right? How do you manage that, right? Like, nah, stuff comes down to like every half hour, every hour, every five hours. Like, time time is different, man. And what do you do in the breaks? Um, oh, get something to eat. Get like like no, get something to eat. Take some multivitamins, right? Like balance, like balance uh your uh, blood flow and air circulation right there, right? Like um. Yeah, make sure, like, because there'd be times where I would feel, like, uh, when I sit down, I would feel the circulation working different down to my feet right there, right? Um, yo, call my wife, right? Because it talks to people I love right there, right? Um, send emails, like, basically, that's where social stuff happens at, right? Um, and follow-ups happen at. So that's when he was reaching out to me. I wasn't on a break. The other day, I was, like, in the middle of, like, shutting down a job right oh, there. Yeah. yeah. He was going to shut down a job. It was, like, it was dark. In, in, in the hood right there, I'm like, yo, like, when it's time to shut down, it's like a, like a, we try to get it down within 20 minutes, but we're shutting down so we could um, set up the next day easier. Yeah. Right there, because I keep all my supplies in the trunk of my car. So, so I'm able to pull up and just start working. Yeah. Right there, right? Um, but bottom line is, um, within that break, though, is to get your body back to working the way you know it's supposed to work. During the pandemic, that was like a changing point for my career my brand, um, I didn't necessarily lose money. Like my career kept shooting up during the pandemic because one, I didn't stay in the house. I was, I was still on the streets painting like every day, painting, making art, um, taking on commissions right there. Stuff got real odd at first. In the first three months, stuff was odd. It was, it, things seemed extremely uncertain. Somewhere leading up to the riots and after the riots, Believe it or not, stuff was more certain, right? Even after the riots, right? But it was um, understanding that we're living within an economy of chaos. We're like, yo, the self-perpetuating chaos is a part of our economy. So during the time of the pandemic, I watched the society slow down, but now I refuse to. But by doing that, stuff got dangerous, right? Because I'm still in the streets. Yo, like, like I've witnessed wild stuff happening on the streets over the past couple of years that gave they helped me identify what God and the devil is within the same minute. Like um, understanding how life and death could happen within a small period of time, right? That a cycle of life could be that quick though. Right. But bottom line also is that um, it's like operate, like I, I thrived in that isolation. I actually liked being by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot of stuff done. And even with that time, I burnt how to really use procreate, right? Like <laughs> picked up entire new skills and everything right there. And I was more, more concerned about people that I loved being all right, but I was fine with being by myself and making sure my family was fine right there. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm even more prolific, I, isolated right there, especially with access to the internet, right? So I had time to research stuff and do a lot more trial and error. Mm-hmm. But bottom line though, is that, um, I went harder also during that time because I knew people were going to all come back out at the same time. And I at least want to create a thicker trail of my work on the streets. If I knew society was going to reopen around the same time right there, right? That, that, that has a heavier visual yeah, you impact. You were going to get a shock value. You were going to get like uh, multiple people looking at multiple things. At that the all same time. To you. Yes. No, 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 another variable, another variable. I have to bring this up. Remember when I was in college? I watched 9-11 happen, right? And, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, things are falling apart, man. Uh, oh, shit, I'm scared, right? You know, so I start being triggered. <laughs> but these planes crashing the buildings, right? And, Not to laugh at it, right. but I get, I get where you're coming from. All right, cool. So I was younger. I was scared, right? And you were like, uh, oh, my God, the world's ending. The world's ending, right? You Because know, you're younger, right? You know, it's the first time I've ever seen a national catastrophe like that, right? Yeah. So it affected me for the worse and slowed down the flow I had. The date that that may have had naturally from me with without that happening, right? So that came and gone, right? Mm-hmm. The housing market crash happened in '09 or 2010, right? I was scared about that, right? That made me even start teaching even harder, right? It made me clinch on to my old teaching job, right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because um, you know, I, I was scared and I was getting triggered and stuff like that. Yo, third time around, I'm like fuck this, man! I'm not about to sit up here and be scared in the crib. And this this is the third time me seeing. Something appear on t- on television. People acting wild. People being triggered right there. 
No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to sit up here and voluntarily sit on the bench and be scared like that, mm. right? Because that's another thing. During that time, uh, my wife, you know, like she had she had stopped working. She's a massage therapist, right? So the weight of the household o- overhead had flipped on me for a while, right? So it was like my overhead, like you know, like went from. It doubled. So I had to take everything that the people were giving me, everything right there. And I had no problem dealing with that. Um, I'm like, yo, yo, this, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to survive. And at least there was something right there. But one thing I wasn't going to do was stay in the crib, taking orders and being scared mm-hmm. right there like, like that. And just letting stuff fall apart like that. Right. Like, like, um, no, it's time to act and evolve right there. Cause here's the thing though. I've watched people rise out of that housing market situation of, of, of 2009 and 2010, I watched people blow up during that and, um, and reflected on back. I'm like, yo, I was, I was straight up triggered by that. No, nah, I'm not. I refuse to let that ever happen again. Unless there's some army of SWAT team in my door, I'm not being, I'm not being moved, bro. No, it has to be an immediate threat right there. If it's, if it's something that's trending on Instagram, everyone's talking about on social media, right? Some new boogeyman right there. Don't let that affect your work. It's just a new trend of, 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 of the current day right there. It's one thing to joke about it right there, but don't take that serious like that, especially if you're a so-called wise adult right there. Take it at, at, at a grain of salt. But don't let it, let it, let it sway your hustle, man, yeah. and the way you interact with the world. Anything that you would want to like tell the audience as, as a last comment? Yo, I'm going to keep it a, a few of these comments short and simple. And for one, if you are a parent, you're raising children, or if you're any kind of elder, um, promote for your children to have hobbies, right? Hobbies are where, as hobbies, a healthy amount of hobbies um, creates a platform for experimentation as a kid and the trial and error of the activity of just trying different things. That trying different activities as hobbies may help lead you on to understanding what your life path is as a person. It's worth starting that in your, ad, in, in, in your adolescent years right there. So in, influence the, the, the children around you, right, to have hobbies. And what I mean by that is there was once a time where I used to rap. I used to DJ. I used to break dance, right? Um, in time, there was, uh, I, I put a lot of that aside and um, declared them as hobbies and focusing on one thing now the one thing is visual art has been consistent for some years. Um, currently, I see where being able, like good uh, understanding the writing comes in handy at, right? So, like, I don't want to rap anymore, but I do want to intertwine creative writing with the artist statement of an actual piece right there. That's its own piece of art right there. That's creative writing right there. You could do a lot with that as a writing project right there, right? So, there's still places for the information I gained during those hobbies, but it's not my plan A for income and for passion at the same time right there, right? So it's still gain information, it's life experience right there. But yes, promote for your kids to have a hobby right there. Um, second thing, yeah, to clarify, my relationship, my spiritual relationship, right? It's like two sides of the coin with me. There's my logical view of the world. It's based off of math. Right, like from the zero decimals, one since thousands, right? God being zero, humanity being one point five trillion or something like that during a span of life right there, right? Um, logically, um, I'm more of a person that believes that God exists, but he put us here and we gotta survive right there, right? That's my logical mind right there that sees the real world. My spiritual mind is extremely abstract. Right. It's, it's not what you can see. Right. It's the aspect of me understanding reality on a level of where everything isn't based off of what you could physically see with your eyes right there. There are other levels of existence that, 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 that you may not be able to see or touch with your senses right there. Right. There's an aspect of me that yeah, the, my logic of God that's extremely tangible. And another aspect is like, you know, it's, it's untangible. It's gray. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's vague right there. Right. Um, cause everything in life isn't that black and white, man. There are nuances like, um, nothing is black and white. You see what I'm saying? Everything's gray. Everything's gray, man. You know? So like that's, that's my relationship with the most high right there. Cause there were, there were years it was going by, man. I was basically a, an, an atheist right there. Right. But 
do life experience and understanding the depths of nuance, the gray area right there, like near, near death experiences. And where I was getting there earlier, no, I've had a relative die and a new relative be born in the same day. Man. Like, like that's, that's to see the cycle of life happen within the same 24 hours. Like, Holy shit. Like, yo, mm-hmm. all right, now let me step back and really analyze this. Well, I thought I knew about it. I don't really know about, I really don't know it at all. Yeah. Right there. So no, um, no, it's, it's, it's respecting the great areas of life, the decimals, the, the power of zero, yeah. the power of nothingness. Um, the, the, lastly, lastly, whatever you choose to do as a creative right there, um, respect that there, are other, that, they, that there are other individuals that came before you that's doing the same things you did. Read the history of what it is you're, you're, you're doing. Find out, find out what mantle you're filling by taking on this path right there. That will help gauge you as far as understanding your place within that path right there, right? You know, if it's meant for you to be a general, if it's meant for you to be an innovator right there, right? Everyone has their place right there, but you have to understand the range of the game. So, like, you're a boxer, right? Um, all champion boxers studied the history of boxing, even back to gladiator fighting, right? Like, a- after a while, like, you go from boxing, studying boxing, to just the nature of fighting right there, right? That the whole gamut of it, right? And there's still, that's even still a tip of the iceberg of understanding boxing right there or, or just the innate nature and function of fighting or violence amongst humanity right there, right? So, um, no, like, um, yeah, be a nerd. What I mean by that is um, study everybody's trial and error and the history of the individuals that took on the same path you did right there. If, if you want to have some meaningful effect within your field right there, right? And that's it. I'm going to cut off right there. Uh, this is Ramon Static, the creative gladiator. Peace. Hey, how, how, how can people reach you? How to reach out to me um, via, via social media, Instagram, web, Facebook is Ramon Static. It's spelled R-A-H-M-A-A-N Static, S-T-A-T-I-K. You put a dot .com behind that, I-G, Facebook is all on well, the same thing right there. I actually worked on my branding. Yeah. Everybody, reach out to Ramon Static for any art endeavor that you might need. And thank you very much for making it out, brother. Signing off. 500 and growing, 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 growing. Podcast. Dedicated to the underdog, cause I see you. Working on your craft, getting strong, cause I see you. Ready to set it off and on, cause I see you. Correcting all that is wrong, cause I see you. Dedicated to your craft, read and study the math. Making goals and taking a stand. Original, so you trailblaze a path. In tune with your inner master plan. Master plan. Master plan. Master plan. 500 and growing. Podcast. Visit 500andgrowing.com for more creative content. Thank you for listening to the 500 and Growing podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, We have incredible guests lined up that will be sharing how they came to be extraordinary at whatever they do. And stay tuned. Follow at 500 and Growing podcast on Instagram for updates. And also visit 500andgrowing.com for more creative content.